This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and joining me for installment number five of our 31 Beat series is the fantasy hockey robot himself, though he may be about to face some competition but here he is, the great Brian Com. Wow, Elon, what a nice intro. Like starting some weird competition between me and our guests on the show, who I have openly uh, shared in our chats going up to this episode. This is the one of the episodes I was most excited about, both for content and person. I guess it's Allison Lucan who's here to talk to us about the Columbus Blue Jackets and like the whole glut of forwards they have and whether any of them can really stand out above the crowd, both on the Blue Jackets themselves and in fantasy. We talk about the crease. We talk about the defense. We talk about it all. And it was of such a great interview. Yeah, I think that people are going to enjoy it. And obviously, you're about to find out because that's why you downloaded this podcast. But before we get to that, let's quickly mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the top fantasy hockey website in the freaking world. And you could go there every day for updates and articles. And I use their frozen tool stats to prepare all of these podcasts. So it's just a really handy place to go spend a day, <laughs> DauberHockey.com. <laughs> uh, and then quickly, let's also mention that we still are running our Patreon program. Brian, I just did an auction draft with the 2018-19, no, the 2017-18-19 result. It was a crazy, like, four hours. I only went to bed, Brian, at 3 a.m., and then I woke up for this early morning, Sunday morning interview with Allison, but it was worth it because we had a lot of fun. That's just an example of the crazy stuff that we're doing in our patron community. So if you wanted to support us and see what's going on in our Facebook group and with all the nonsense, Brian, we have a patron cast coming on Wednesday where we're just going to do a show where we answer questions from the patrons, and we usually have a lot of fun there. So check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron just throw us a buck you know what also uh it's just the start of may now so you could even subscribe as a patron and if you don't like it quit before the end of may you don't even have to pay us anything we just want you to come in and hang out come hang out with us we're desperate but with that brian it is time so let's cue up that great interview we did with allison lucan 
All right, everybody, we've got a treat for you today. This is our fifth team interview. And I have to say, I think the team that has the most meat on the bone in terms of things to talk about, I hope we'll be able to squeeze everything in because we've got an expert for you. We've got from The Athletic, writing about the Columbus Blue Jackets, also a co-presenter at Hockey Analytics Night in Canada, co-host of the Too Many Men podcast and all around hockey analytics whiz, Allison Lucan. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm glad we could make it happen. Yeah, for sure. We've been going back and forth for a while trying to get you on an episode. And here we are to talk about the Blue Jacks. And I want to just dive right in here. What a bonkers season for Columbus, right? Like uh, many were expecting it to be a rough one. Like with Panarin and Bobrovsky both jumped ship in the summer. They brought in Gustav Nyquist. I was like, okay, I don't know how much that's going to help. And things kind of started as expected. They lost uh, their sixth of seven games as of December 14th. They were sitting at like 12, 14, and six, well out of a playoff spot. I was like, okay, that's what we thought. Uh, you know, work in progress. Then all of a sudden, Eunice Corposalo turned into a beast. The team won five in a row. And then in his 10th straight start, Corposalo hurt his knee in that shootout versus Chicago. And then it seemed like, okay, well, now that's going to be it because Merzlikens had those couple good games and wasn't or a couple games and wasn't doing anything then Merzlikens comes in all of a sudden becomes the best goalie in the world he started 10 in a row himself winning eight of them and all of a sudden like come February 7th just like a couple months later Blue Jackets were 36 and 9 they were looking unbeatable and then everyone got injured Atkinson Bjorkstrand Anderson Jones Texier like uh, and obviously it was too much to bear and then coming into the pause the Blue Jackets started limping they lost 12 of 15 barely hanging on to that final wild card spot. So a uh, quick recap of the season leads me to my first question. Like, what is this team? Are they just like a streaky <laughs> group and their current standing position in the end kind of represents what we should expect moving forward? Or are we looking at like an amazing team that could be a real threat if everyone could actually stay healthy? Yeah, I, I do think it's the latter for sure. It's, it's funny because, I mean, then I get it why Columbus doesn't get a ton of national attention. But, you know, everyone was talking about Pittsburgh's injuries this year, which were significant, but Columbus was averaging six players, six of their starting players out every game. They had 10 games this season, or excuse me, they had seven games this season where they had 10 players from their starting lineup out with injury. So it was like, it's like, I've I've only seen it happen one other time and it was to Columbus in 14-15. Um, but for them to do what they did in the face of that, you know, going into the season, I wasn't as concerned as everyone else was kind of on the national level because the team was good before Panarin. I didn't think they were cup contenders, but I was just concerned about the goaltending and goal scoring. And the goaltending, like you said, stepped up. And what they overcame as far as those injuries, I mean, 10 players out there bringing up, they're signing AHL players to NHL deals just to get them in the lineup because they needed the body. So I think it was a really quite an amazing story for people who were paying attention in terms of what they were doing, given the obstacles they had. So like knowing that they've ended up where they are, like it felt like when Panarin had to like left and Bobrowski left and then they had Corpusaldo and Merzlikens back who we're going to get to in just a second. It seemed as though Columbus had no choice, like based on the construction of their roster, but to shut it down defensively and to be one of these teams in the league that is legit the best at protecting their net. Was this, was that just a matter of circumstance or do you see that also being the attack going forward with a fully healthy team that they're not going to rely on offense to win? They're going to be like, Hey, we're going to shut it down. We're going to capitalize on mistakes. This is just the way we're always going to be. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head and we saw it. If if you followed that Tampa Bay Columbus series last year in the playoffs, that's how they beat Tampa. They had that really aggressive four check that just completely confounded 
Tampa Bay's offense. And when this season started, Torts, John Tortorella, was saying, we're going to have a defensive focus. And so that's how this team played. Um, They were top three in the league in terms of suppressing opponents' offense the entire season. And it was to protect the goaltenders. And then just as you said, to kind of shut down the attack at them and then hopefully turn that into offense. And I think too, listen, it's not a sexy way to play hockey. It's not particularly super invigorating unless you like defensive play and the way that they were playing. But it also, that was, I think, what helped when they had to call so many guys up because they weren't looking for guys to replace. I mean, they did lose offensive guys, but they didn't lose like offensive firepower that was the source of their strength. It's a system that's easy to come into and play. And so I think that made it easy for them to deal with the injuries too. It also like reminds me a little of those LA and Chicago cup winning teams where they had those spare parts that they could just plop into their system and not miss a beat. So that's great for Columbus if they're getting there. And you mentioned like it might be kind of boring, especially for fantasy purposes for Columbus to play this way. So we're going to talk about the offense, like specific forwards, but what's the most production? Like what should we expect the team leader in points in Columbus to be putting up next year? Yeah. I mean, I, well, it's a trick question because I do think that um, if in free agency and Columbus tried to do it this last offseason, they had to be super aggressive. And I think they have to be super aggressive this year, too, to try and get more offense. Um, I do think that, you know, this was an off year for Cam Atkinson. Even if you go at points per game, um, that's not who he is. He is a 20 to 30 goal scorer, even without Artemi Panarin. But you're not getting hundred point guys <laughs> off this roster. <laughs> though, to be fair, there was a player that kind of out of nowhere, though Brian likes to say that we saw it coming a little bit, but like out of nowhere, like kind of turned into a superstar that I want to get your thoughts on. I'm talking about Oliver Bjorkstrand, who, you know, had that interesting start to his season. Like he had a little breakout at the end of the 2015-16 season, eight points in 12 games. And it seemed like over the next three seasons, he just never could get consistent deployment from Tortorella and he didn't play big minutes. And case in point, like he only played 12 12 minutes and 20 seconds on average last season, finished below half point per game. So going to this season, like, yeah, Bjorkstrand, he could be good. You know, who knows? And then this season started, he had, uh, I see here, six points through his first 19 games. So just another typical, not someone that, as we in the business of of talking fantasy, call it fantasy relevant. Then like out of nowhere to me, anyways, like he turned into a superstar, like a switch got flipped. Uh, His minutes were up. He was on the top power play and sometimes in place of Cam Atkinson, which was pretty surprising. And Bjorkstrand had 30 points over his next 30 games before going down with an ankle injury. So yeah, looking forward, like, do you think that Oliver Bjorkstrand is like this superstar point per game player, maybe not hundred point player, but like 80, 70, 80 point player? Like, are we looking at a guy who has an upside for 40 goals? Yeah, I think we are. And I think this is, you know, it, it's so cliche, but uh, Jarmo Kekalainen and Torts were both saying like, when all these guys leave, like happen, this is a year of opportunity and for guys to show what they can be. And, you know, as much as people miss Panarin and Bobrovsky, what's been kind of interesting is to watch how the players who are still here learned and paid attention to what those players did and brought it into their game. And I think that, well, I know that Oliver Bjorkstrand listened and watched and took notes on how Panarin is strong on the puck, possesses the puck, and he brought that into his game. Couple that with the fact that he took on the responsibility to be a guy. When you need guys, (laughs) he wanted to be one of the guys. And in the playoffs, I think he really learned the ding on him has been he's a slow starter and he's not necessarily strong defensively in terms of a two-way player, which you have to be if you're going to play for torts. 
And he found that in his game in the playoffs. And that's what he brought this year. John Tortorella raved about him all season, said he was the most consistent forward on the team. And I think we're seeing the player he can become now. I don't know that the trajectory stays super high, but I think this is the player who he is. It's been quite remarkable to watch what he did this year. It was amazing. And Elon said, you know, it was saying out of nowhere. And we we actually bickered about this before you came on because I'm like, it wasn't out of nowhere. We saw that he had these good numbers, but was just never getting the opportunity. And occasionally when he did get the opportunity, he'd fire a whole bunch of shots on net. And then all of a sudden he'd lose three minutes of ice once again. <laughs> and like, that would be the end of the excitement around Oliver Bjorkstrand. So Elon also said the switch was flipped. And I think you, you might've kind of answered it, but just for my own uh, satisfaction, what switch was flipped? Was it Bjorkstrand flipping a switch or was it Tortorella flipping a switch? Like the light bulb went on. It's like, oh, wait, I can play this guy three more minutes. I, th- I think it was both, actually. I think that Torts knew he had to play him higher in the lineup, knew he had a strong playoff, so he earned it from last season. And then Bjorkstrand came in and played so much better this year. And coupled with the injury, when guys had to take on minutes, Torts would look to him and he would take the responsibility and play well and play consistently. And so it just, you know, waterfalled from there. Okay, so let's talk about the other guy who we've been really relying on for offense longer than Bjorkstrand in Columbus. This is Cam Atkinson, you know, who was just doing great over the past few seasons. He had that career-high 41 goals and 69 points in 2018-19, but... By the way, I I hope this is the last interview we do about Columbus or whatever, where Panarin and Bobrovsky keep getting brought up. Like we're now it happens. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's a year apart. Like this is the year where we had to say it a thousand times. And then next year it's like, we'll have the, anyway. uh, So Panarin was gone. Right. And was like, okay, what does this mean for Atkinson? Um, He had his own ankle injury. So that was one thing, but um, the 70 plus point Atkinson that we hope to see did not make an appearance this year. Just 26 points in 44 games with the stretch before his injury um, being the most glaring as he went pointless in seven games. Uh, And to make things worse, it seemed like he was getting bumped from the top power play when Bjorkstrand was in the lineup. Uh, No complaints really, but like why? Like Atkinson, top power play seems like a natural fit, but it was Dubois, Jenner, Nyquist, and Bjorkstrand on the top unit instead. And so we got a lot of questions like, should I drop Cam Atkinson? What do I do with him? And we preached patience because his underlying numbers still looked good. And then he had these awful shooting percentages and on ice shooting percentages that were each below 6%, which is tragic, but the deployment choices being made about Atkinson were also deflating. It's like, Oh, it seems like he's playing on the third line. He's not getting much support from his line mates. So I guess my question is which set of numbers from Atkinson, do you think, tells the real story from the year and sets our expectations right for next season. Is it his disappointing boxcars, those 26 points in 44 games, or the glimmers of hope in his under-the-hood five-on-five rate stats? Yeah, I, I definitely think that it's the under-the-hood stats for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned some of the key things. When, when this team was struggling so much in December, I went back and looked, and the Blue Jackets had literally the worst shooting percentage of any NHL team at that point in the season since the last lockout. So they were suffering from just remarkably bad luck. Um, And, you know, not that anyone wants injuries, but I think in part, that's what the injuries, when those injuries started to pile up, I think it got guys out of their heads. I think that there was pressure because Artemi Panarin wasn't there. Cam Atkinson in particular is a guy who wants to be the guy. He wants to step up. I think it was in his head all off season. And I think it was just gripping the stick too much. Um, he was doing everything you said. He was shooting. He was playing. He continued to stay on the PK. 
honestly, in Columbus, from a fantasy perspective, the minutes matter for sure, but their power play has been so bad for so long. It's been like just throwing whatever sticks, and that was what was happening this year. I don't know that we can put as much in some of those deployment numbers um, other than Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. I mean, it was really just kind of throw everything you could at the wall. But yeah, I mean, we have age as a factor for Atkinson. But like I said before, I think that this is a guy who's going to continue to shoot. He can score. He's going to get power play minutes. He's going to get top six minutes regardless. And that's another thing that happened to Columbus this year that's important is that because of what happened with who left, Torts made a conscious decision, and I actually studied this. He was one of the coaches in the league most consistently rolling four lines. So there wasn't as much of an imbalance when you look at like top line guys versus fourth line guys. The minutes were much more distributed evenly because he wanted this distributed scoring approach. So it kind of hurt guys like Atkinson in that sense. But yeah, this is he can produce, he plays the right way. I would have him on my team if he was if he's healthy, I would have him on my team. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting when you say they were running the four forwards or four forward lines, because you take a look like there's so many players I feel like I could be asking about, like we've talked about Bjorkstrand and Atkinson. I want to get to, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, of course. And then, you know, they have Nyquist, uh, Felino and Jenner still getting their 18 plus minutes and solid power play deployment. Uh, but actually the one player who I'm actually very curious about to ask you about next is Josh Anderson, because he's someone that we were kind of expecting to step up again, Brian, in Panarin's absence, which is the last time we'll be able to talk about him. <laughs> yeah, we thought that Josh Anderson, he was coming off this great season 2018-19, I guess a lot like Cam Atkinson. Anderson had 27 goals and 47 points. And then for fantasy purposes, he took like 230 shots through 214 hits. So he's like this multi-category beast that helps you all across the board. And we thought, oh, now with Panarin gone, maybe Anderson gets onto the top line or starts getting top power play. But like, it's certain certainly did not go in that direction of getting better. Things looked to go a whole lot worse. He had only four points in 26 games before, of course, suffering an injury of his own, which was a posterior labral tear in his shoulder and he ended up getting surgery for it. So do you have any idea what happened to Josh Anderson? And do you think that 2018-19 Anderson could still be back once his shoulder heals? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, in full disclosure, Josh Anderson was on my opening fantasy roster too. <laughs> so yeah, he he is a beast. Um, he's, like you said, a multi cat category guy. He proved it. He has consistently had an upward trajectory over his career. Um, you know, again, this is kind of what's fun. And when we try and follow 30, it's impossible to follow 31 teams, you know, to the nth degree. But this was one of the interesting things that didn't people didn't really notice until later in the season. But it was funny in preseason interviews, Josh Anderson comes into the room and we're all just kind of, you know, hanging out, chatting before we formally start interviewing. And I'm like, Josh, how's your shoulder? Because he hurt his shoulder in the Boston series last year. And he's like, Oh yeah, it's almost a hundred percent. And I was like, what? Oh no. So he came into the season with still kind of some lingering effects of that shoulder injury. You could see it because again, he's such a physical guy. He's the traditional um, power forward, you know, big, fast, physical, and it was hampering his play a little bit. And they kept trying to put him in situations, but he just wasn't playing to his potential. Then he hurts uh, the other shoulder in a game in Ottawa in December. And then it was finally in the spring where they decided to shut it down and he's actually getting surgery to repair the original shoulder from last year. So, it, you know, there's a lot of talk around him too for contract purposes and that's a whole other mess. But anytime I talk about Josh Anderson, I say, take this year and throw it out the window. Um, this is, this was not a Josh Anderson year and every other year in his career says he's that player and not the player we saw this year. 
Yeah, I just feel like I'm to throw it out there to the people listening. That confirms what I was kind of thinking. And I think Josh Anderson could be a real steal in fantasy next year if you just no throw questions. out this year, like you said. Yeah. Don't, don't come on. We, <laughs> we, we don't need to tell too many people. Oh, actually, we do. That's. <laughs> That's the whole point. Okay, uh, let's talk about someone else who actually went for a song in our. We have this uh, patriot, like a fantasy hockey league for our listeners. It's called the Cupful, and we have uh, like it's a tiered league. So if you win enough times, you end up in the top tier, competing against the best of the best. And there was uh, we have an auction draft in that tier in that division. And one guy who I thought was gotten for such great value was Pierre-Luc Dubois, who went, I mean, it's hard to contextualize without telling you all the other auction price values. I won't get into it, but he went for fantastic value as someone who's still like under the radar, could be a great producer, but still seems to be kind of on the precipice. And so he rewarded the the team that did draft him with a really solid age 21 season. This was his third season in the league, 49 points in 70 games for a 57 point pace. And he didn't really miss a beat, even after losing Artemi Pernay. So he didn't, like, you know, take a giant step forward. But I think holding steady could seem like kind of a victory for him. At the same time, he's a guy that we haven't totally been able to put our finger on for exactly what his upside is because he was a rookie, then a sophomore, then his third year in the league. He lost one of his most frequent wingers. So we're trying to figure out, is he a good top number one centerman or a high-end number one centerman so from what you've seen from Dubois so far in his young career what what do you think is this a future superstar in the making that we thought you know that we heard talked about on draft day or should we just assume what we saw last season is about what we should continue to expect moving forward uh, like a good reliable top line center but 55 60 points might be the upside yeah, I, th- I think that it is the latter for sure. I mean, it's what he did this year, in my opinion, is a big step forward because as in, we keep joking about it, but it is true. He was my case study. I've said this a couple of times. That's the only player in the NHL who only ever played with Artemi Panarin on his wing. So if we wanted to isolate what's the impact to Columbus of losing that player, what was going to happen to Pierre-Luc Dubois' game? And he really didn't drop off in anything underlying at all. Um, and I think, too, he is a player that perhaps was hampered a little bit by what, how Torts was asking them to play, particularly with all the injuries when you're asked to pull back and focus more defensively and not take as many offensive risks. I think maybe he was tied up by that. I don't think he loved it, which I appreciate and get. So I think he might have a little bit farther he can go points production-wise. He's going to be used in – on power play, he's going to be used five on five, obviously, in heavy, heavy minutes. He's never missed an NHL game in his career, which is huge. I don't think he's going to be a superstar, but he's going to be a solid top centerman. Right. That makes sense. And hey, if Oliver Bjorkstrand is turning into the superstar, maybe he could just bring Dubois with him and like bring <laughs> Dubois to get like maybe 60 points, 70 points, just uh, feeding Bjorkstrand and having him capitalize. Okay. So like I said, we've talked about so many forwards that fill out already a top nine, but I still have three more I want to ask you about because you go look at the rookies and prospects on this team. And there's, you know, I don't know if they're the highest ranked team for prospects. Actually, Brian shared a note with me that they're the 31th ranked team for prospects, yeah. according to The yeah. Athletic. But yeah. still, I, 
I've got three names that I'm curious to hear about. <laughs> uh, one is Alex Texier, who made the team this year and was getting some good looks with Dubois even before, of course, he went down with an injury, a back injury at the end of December. Uh, but 13 points in 36 games isn't, isn't nothing for a first season. Then we had this guy, Emil Bemstrom, another rookie that was getting good deployment, sometimes with the Dubois, and he ended up with 20 points in 56 games. And then there's a guy who hasn't yet come into the NHL, but the 2018-18th overall pick, Liam Foudy, Mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing that right? Foodie, yeah. Foodie. Oh, Foodie. That's a fun name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brian loves the players with the f- names that are interesting. So, okay. Liam Foodie, 68 points in 45 games with London of the OHL this past season. And he got to play a couple games with the Blue Jackets in February before the pause. Got an assist and played 18 minutes on February 13th. So maybe a sign of things to come. Uh, so maybe can you give us a quick breakdown of these three guys like Texier, Bemstrom, and Foodie? Like, do any of them have a shot of making an impact on the team next season or any of them like future superstars or are they just, these just going to be like another group of guys, just like all of these, you know, Felinos and Boone Jenners and just like throw them on the list of players who we're going to have on our radar, but are going to, you know, necessarily be stars in the league. Yeah. Let's go. We'll go player by player. I think the one that I'm highest on in terms of long-term and overall value is Texier. Um, He came in like a storm last year, played in the playoffs this was his rookie season, so he was figuring a lot of stuff out. But I think he was probably the most well-rounded player. And I think he has the best bet to be like a top six power play, even strength scorer kind of guy. Um, he's also quite physical. He has a little bit of an edge to him. He likes to get under the skin of opponents. So I think that that's a little interesting wrinkle to how he plays. Bemstrom could be interesting because Bemstrom was brought in, honestly, specifically as a power play specialist. So if you're looking for a player like that, I think that's what he's going to be long-term. He's had a little bit more of an adjustment to the North American game. He needs to pick up his speed of thinking and of playing. Um, probably, like you said, though, another Jenner, another Felino, another guy like that. Foodie's the wild card. I, I don't know what to make of him. He did play well in his NHL games, but I also always kind of discounts those games for the adrenaline rush of them being your first NHL games. You don't know what this player is going to be. And what he's known for is his speed. um, But we don't necessarily know what he really can do in terms of finishing at the NHL level. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but I don't, I don't know that he's elite level talent. Um, Like I said, the highest I'd be is on Textier. And then I think of Bemstrom as a power play specialist, if you're looking for, for those kind of category points. Okay, so we're not going to set our expectations too high, but Texier sounds like could be draftable, and then mm-hmm. Bemstrom, maybe extreme a man for a power play point, and then Foodie, uh, we'll see what he does. <laughs> I like what you said about not judging. A pl- I mean, we try never to judge a player too quickly, but it's always so hard when the player does get in in their first few games and goes wild, and everyone's like, oh, do I need, do I need this guy on my roster right now? Right. And I like how you framed it. The adrenaline could really just push someone to perform about over and above. Also, Elon, you mentioned I like prospect, I like hockey names. I do, and I just want to share that uh, Liam Foodie is not the best name in the Columbus prospect system. Uh, for that, it get, the the title goes to Vaini Vevalainen. Yes, yeah. <laughs> who is now at least two more years away from getting a shot because of the uh, Merzlikens and Corpusalo contract extensions. But I did tell Elon in the side chat that I'm going to go with defense now instead of goalie. So I'm going to go. Well, actually, there. no, because you bring it up, Brian. And since you're okay. talking about these two-year contract <laughs> extensions, we should mention that there is that expansion draft coming up. So 
it is possible. Maybe how about let's flip the script here. Let's go to the goalies quickly since since you bring them up. Uh, and yeah, like this is a team where the goalies are probably the number one topic on our podcast. The Col- what's going on in the Columbus set? Because Corpusalo was amazing, and at first it just seemed like okay, Corpusalo is turning into like a stud number one goalie in fantasy that you could just get him and ride him to play every single game and get you great numbers. Then he gets injured, and all of a sudden Merzlikens literally just takes over that exact same role, and then we started to speculate like what's going to happen when Corpus is back like who's the number one goalie are they going to go 50 50 you'd think it would make sense with the way the league is looking that they might as well just go 50 50 with these two goalies except like from what we saw this season when one of them goes on a run and does well is when they play every single game right like right. Uh, Merzlikens wasn't even doing that well until Corpusalo got injured so do you have a sense now that both of them have these contracts for the next two seasons like who is the front runner to be the starter right now or do you think it will be uh, the type of thing where they'll just like take turns playing yeah, I mean, there's so we don't know to answer the question. Um, I will say that Yarmo Kekalainen has said that he does agree that the league is going in a direction where you don't have like this number one and then a backup who plays like 20, 25 games. He thinks it is more of a shareable net situation. Um, but what we're really curious about is it's possible that both of these players don't start the season on the Columbus roster um, because they did have such good years. Is one of them traded? Again, we think about that elite offensive need they have is one of these guys gone um, because they're affordable. They've proven themselves. They've proven they can start my personal philosophy. And no one asked me from the coach's office, but I think that they would go to more of a shared net. And I think that the key for both of these guys to your point would be open communication with each of them in terms of what the plan is, because both of them acknowledged and proved, as you said, that when they got regular playing time, when they knew they weren't, they didn't have to prove themselves in net to keep their job. Of course they want to win. Of course they want to play well. But when they knew they had that net as theirs, it freed up their mind to play better. So I think managing their expectations is key. But the trick with these two guys is, again, remember how Columbus played this year. So they're not seeing a lot of shots. Um, Their shots against aren't as high as maybe what you're looking for, like compared to a New York or a Chicago this year. So they're not going to do well there. And so a goal against can impact them. And if they, if they have a bad game, it's going to look really bad on their stats. Um, But I will admit too, I had both of these guys on my roster at one point or another this season (laughs) to trying to ride the hot hand. That's so funny. You have the inside scoop. Do you just like go to Tortorella and ask him what's going to happen? Or or is that cheating? I wish, but the man is notorious for never talking about his goaltenders. So even when it's about your fantasy team, oh God, he'd probably just kick me out of the room. (laughs) He just doesn't understand what's at stake. Okay. Um, So let's move on to defense now for real. Uh, And I'm not sure how many people noticed this aside from, of course, the three of us, but Zach Wierenski led all defensemen in goals this past season with 20 in 63 games. That's a 26 goal full season pace for context. No defenseman not named Brent Burns has scored more than 23 goals since Mike Green did it back over 10 years ago in 2008, 2009. Uh, Brent Burns had 29 in 1617, 27 and 1516, but Wierenski right on his heels with a 26 goal pace in 1920. So where did this come from? I mean, we talked about Cam Atkinson and how like he looked really good, but the percentages were going the wrong way. Wierenski looked good, but the percentages were very much going the right way, trending towards a career high 11 
percent shooting percentage. So what odds would you put on Morensky leading defenseman in scoring again next season? Can we expect a repeat Ooh. performance or some semblance even of a repeat performance? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I say some, at least some semblance of a repeat performance. Um, Torts does not even call him a defenseman. Torts calls him a Rover. Um, and he's called him that since his first season. And as much as we talk about the defensive concentration that this team had, there was a, I, I need to go back and find it in my notes, but there was a point when the team was struggling and Torts told us that he went to Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski and said, okay, boys, you're cut loose. Do whatever it is you feel like doing. Drive the, drive the team, ride, ride it offensively if you can. And that's when Zach just turned it on. Um, we've seen him. He had a great rookie year. You remember he was a Calder finalist. His second year, he didn't do as well, but he was actually dealing with a shoulder injury that he played with the entire season. Last year was a big year for him with the coaches in terms of becoming better defensively. So I think now we're really seeing the well-rounded, fully maturing into his game and owning his game, Zach Wierenski, and, and this is who he is. Um, yeah, it's pretty – he is a fun – him and Seth Jones are some of the most fun players to watch um, because they're just doing it differently and they're succeeding. Yeah, it's it's very impressive that they could have one defenseman who's like Ryan said, leading the league in goals, and then another defenseman in Seth Jones, who's a perennial Norris Trophy candidate at this point. But of course, another player who got injured this season, he suffered an ankle injury before the pause. Um, I feel like of all of these players, Seth Jones is the one who I feel like we don't even really need to ask you a question about. I think we know what Seth Jones is, and that's an amazing defenseman in the league. Like we know he's great, even without top power play time. It looks like maybe Wierenski is going to take that role. It seems like Jones is a solid bet to threaten for like 45, 50 points, playing big minutes at even strength and shorthanded, of course, like all the time, basically. So I guess here's my question about Seth Jones. Do you think there's a Norris trophy in this guy's future? And do you think if it's, if it's not, is it because he's not deserving or is it because just the league doesn't notice Columbus? Yeah. Uh, if he doesn't finish his career with at least one, it's a crime. Um, and if he doesn't get one, I do think it'll be because people don't pay attention to Columbus and the responsibility on Columbus. You know, Torts says this all the time and he says it to his players. You make your legacy, you build your reputation in the playoffs. And, and we all know this, right? That you're watching those teams. It's only 16 and it's only eight, et cetera. So those are the guys under the spotlight. And that's Josh Anderson's one who drew everyone's attention because of how he played in the postseason last year. The guys need to get themselves into the postseason to command more attention to get those votes. Um, but yeah, he, he uh, arguably it more so than Zach Rensky, who I'm a huge fan of his game as well. I think Seth Jones should be the first Norris Trophy winner for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Oh, right. I'm rooting for it. I think it, he just looks so solid top to bottom. And that's sort of how he was projecting in Nashville before he was traded to Columbus, where he could really thrive. Uh, so now that we're four years out from that trade, can we put it to bed? Did Columbus win the, uh, the Seth Jones or Ryan Johansson deal? Is it no contest at this point? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I I, I like Ryan Johansson. He's always been good to me. And, and I don't think he's a flop or anything by any of means. Course. But I think I do think that in terms of the genesis of the trade, a number one defenseman for a number one center and what each player was supposed to bring to their team, I think that Columbus got the better end of that deal. Yes. Yeah, well, hey, I mean, Nashville brought in Matt Duchesne. Well, yeah. uh, I didn't see Columbus bringing in another uh, big name defenseman to the team. That's right. And Columbus was in a playoff spot. Nashville was not. So. Yeah, just saying. <laughs> wow. 
Uh, can we just go back? I just want to make sure, maybe you don't want to say, but just to go back to the goalies quickly, because I feel like a lot of people are going into downloading this podcast, specifically wanting to know like, okay, wait, what do I do with my goalies? Like, if you had to pick a name right now between Corbisalo and Merz Lickens for who's going to play more games next season, like just what's your best guess? Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> Uh, it's ha- here's why it's hard. It's hard because this is a loyal organization that has tremendous respect for Corpusalo and the work he put into his game while waiting for his turn um, behind Sergei Bobrovsky. He started last season as the starter. When he came back from injury, even though Merzlikens was playing so well, he ev- the organization was still saying that Corpusalo is the starter. So I feel like if both of these goaltenders are on the roster next season, the season will begin with Corpusalo as the starter but I don't know that workload will reflect that or that the entirety of the season will reflect that. That's my roundabout answer. <laughs> Are you satisfied, Elon? Does that do it for you? We'll take it. We'll take we, it. We've actually taken some flack this year because like every week it's Corpus Allo or Miss Lickens and we're summarizing how like each of them has totally turned it around or one week's for their fantasy owners. And it's just been People are sort of tired of the conversation. Every chance we get, we're just like, let's put it to bed. But clearly it, it's more complicated. Yeah. Well, and here, here's the thing. If you're going for time, right? If you're going for playing time, I think that out of the gate, Corpusalo is likely the winner. However, if you look at underlying numbers, Merzlikens face the harder workload and perform better. So depending on what angle you want to use to build your roster, I think you're more likely to get longer term, better results with Merzlikens. Okay. That's fair. You might get more playing time with Corpusalo. And then as far as the expansion draft, do you think that Corpusalo ends up getting exposed? We had uh, one of our patrons, Victor pointed out that we have a goalie. I'm just trying to, uh, there, there's a prospect that he said he liked named Daniil Tarasov. Daniil Tarasov. Yeah. And there's yeah, yeah. a line in too. <laughs> so, uh, so basically if both, again, if both of these guys are on the roster, Merzlikens is exempt. Ah. He does not have to be protected. So they can protect Corpusalo. Um, and it's likely that the goaltender that would be exposed is the guy who came up in relief. Matisse Kivlenix is who is likely going to be exposed. Okay, well, this has been awesome. Like the time has just flown by. Uh, before we let you go, Allison, we have a question we've been asking all of our different interviews here around the league. If you had to pick one blue jacket that you expect to be the biggest positive surprise next season, someone that like Ooh. people might not draft or draft at the end and they end up being like, oh, this was a lot better than I expected. And then if you also had to pick one player who you think will be the biggest disappointment, who would your bets be for those two picks? Wow. Okay. So I can't, can I pick Josh Anderson or did we, did we spoil that one? No, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. I I would still draft Josh Anderson as my surprise player. Um, And as far as disappointment, I think Boone Jenner. Um, I see interest in him and I just, just watching him play sometimes I'm just kind of like, I think some of his numbers come to him maybe by default and maybe a little bit more opportunity because of all the injuries. If anyone was watching the video of this, they just see me grinning ear to ear because I've been trying to convince Elon. It feels like for three years now that Boone Jenner is not about to break out and become this like what we hope Josh Anderson will become, that his chances oh, to no, do that yeah. are passed and over. He's just he's a he's a basic guy. There's not a whole lot you can expect from him. So now I have backup. Now he's <laughs> right. But, You're being ridiculous, by the way, because why? I don't need to be convinced of this. I agree. Like I once said that I thought Boone Jenner could be valuable in fantasy, even if he only gets like 40 points because of all of his peripherals. And ever since Brian thinks that like he needs to convince me. You, like, I, you said 60 points. 
Oh, that was like a, five years ago. <laughs> and you were wrong. Yeah, fair. It's never going to happen, Elon. I feel like definitely, Allison, your answer doesn't apply to Brian because Boo Jenner won't be a disappointment because he's already expecting rock bottom production. At the same time, Elon, you, Elon has been boosting Josh Anderson for a while too. So I, so you've both validated Elon's and I's intelligence. And that's the whole reason we had you on. So you can well, you help us feel smart about our own takes. Uh, it's been so great to, to have you on. Do you want to talk a little bit just about, you know, people have heard you here. They can hear you in like a thousand other places. Do you want to tell us about those like hockey analytics night in Canada and too many men and everywhere else? Sure. Thank you. Um, yes. Uh, in During this time of pause, um, Megan Chaka, who if you don't know, you should follow, um, is the co-founder of Statletes. And uh, it was her great idea to say, with no hockey, let's keep the hockey conversation going. Let's talk um, from an analytical perspective, too. So every Saturday night um, from 7 to 8, we do a Zoom meeting where we bring in different speakers to talk about different aspects of hockey, women's hockey, hockey analytics, um, pretty much any kind of topic we can think of. We're also going to start branching into other sports to look at some analytical lessons from other sports. So that's every Saturday, 7 to 8. You can follow the hashtag on Twitter. Um, and then with Sarah Sivian and Shana Goldman, um, we have a podcast called Too Many Men, which is just three women in hockey talking about whatever suits us um, without having to be told to smile more. So <laughs> that's, those are a couple places you can find me during the pause. Okay. And what a great idea for the analytics night in Canada to come in when there's such a need for content and thirst for information. You guys go in and you do your thing and hopefully it becomes a fixture beyond and maybe I mean ideally not even just from you like it it really just bleeds into all of hockey culture and atmosphere and too many men is the hockey podcast I have listened to most since hockey paused so uh, it's been uh, it's been really great so thank you for producing all that wonderful content thank you for coming and joining us on our show we would love to have you again some other time uh and uh and please enjoy the rest of your pause Absolutely, you guys. This was a blast. So we'll have to make sure we can find more windows in our schedules to get together and chat. This was awesome. Thanks so much, Allison. Thank you, guys. That was so amazing. I'm still on a high, even if you're listening to this a year from the time we recorded it, still on a high from that fantastic interview. By the way, if you couldn't catch all the things that Allison was sharing about what she does, we're going to link to it all in our show notes. So take a peek there if you want to click through to anything. And hopefully you have plans for this upcoming Saturday night. You know I do, Brian, because I'm going to be paying attention to the hockey analytics stuff and also prepping for our next set of interviews in our 31 Beats series. So the train continues on. Thank you everyone for listening up to this point. If you haven't gone back and listened to all of our other interviews so far, there are four of them, right? There's Detroit, LA, Boston, and Arizona, and all four were a lot of fun. And hopefully we'll just be able to keep going through all 31 teams. But Brian, I think that's enough for today. So how about let's cue up the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits. This episode of the Keep and Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons who are just paying a buck a month to uh, engage with us and get extra stuff from us. So come on in, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Logo art by Brandon Weave. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, and The Athletic. Great job, as always, Brian. And I just have one question for you. Do you know the way to San Jose? Because that's where we're going for the next episode. We're going to be talking to Sheng Peng. I'm very excited about it. Does anybody know the lyrics that come after that line? 
It is oh so very far away. Is that really it? No, I just made that up. That was really good. I'm convinced. <laughs> See right. you there. Bye, everyone. Bye. Keep on keeping Carlson. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to talk about Carlson on that interview. Wow. He knew the way to San Jose. <laughs> and it's lined with gold. <laughs> not. He's making lots of money. Oh, yeah, but not winning a lot of gold. Who cares? <laughs> you know, especially in a time like this, Brian, you just want to make sure your pockets are filled and you're secure. So he made a great decision. Way to go. Couldn't get that in Iowa. Yaroslav Halak signed for a measly two mil. One of the best goalies out there. Getting taken for a ride. He's the new Kevin LeBanc. It was 2.25, the new <laughs> Kevin LeBanc. Yeah, that worked out for LeBanc, huh? I guess we'll talk about that. I haven't written my question yet. All I wrote was, did LeBanc earn more than $1 million? That's going to be the final question. <laughs> That's a really good question. And uh, yeah, he did not, he did not bank the yeah. season. Uh, all right. Okay. Well, talk are to we, you in Are we a still bit. recording? Is this, yes. <laughs> is this still on? <laughs> it is. Okay. Uh, now it's off.